everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Craig Morgan Music and More Podcast. This week's podcast is brought to you by Monster Energy. They do make great energy drinks, but they also make my favorite, the Muscle Monster Shake. It is absolutely fabulous, and if you're on keto like me, uh, it has fewer carbs than a lot of the other drinks. Uh, great. Anyway, check it out. The shit's good, and we are grateful that they uh, support us. And here's why, y'all. Not just because they support this podcast, but because of their support for our men and women in the armed forces. They're huge uh, supporters of our military. So, Monster, thank you for that. Uh, and thank you for that milkshake. I love it. Hey everybody, welcome to my podcast, Music and More. I am so excited this week to have a very special guest, a, uh, a gentleman that's become a very dear friend of mine. Uh, even though he was born in North Dakota, uh, I'm, just, I'm just kidding, I am kidding. And we're excited. Clint, Clinton Romashaw, I'll call him Clint. Clinton Romashaw is a former staff sergeant uh, in the United States Army, enlisted in 1999. Uh, served in Iraq, Afghanistan, multiple tours and, and all over the place. Um, but what makes him unique uh, is not only uh, the human being that he is, but he is a recipient of the Medal of Honor. Uh, and I'm excited to have him here. He's going to be talking about uh, a book that he uh, wrote called Red Platoon. I've read the book. Uh, I have a lot of friends that have read the book. Uh, we're going to talk about our, some experiences that we've had with Clinton in the past and some of his experiences outside of our relationship and how we're utilizing all of these relationships in our lives and society today. So, Clint, thank you so much for joining, my, joining me, my friend. I appreciate you being here. Well, thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me on. It's always exciting, even though we're doing this whole social distancing thing. It's always great to see your face. Yeah, I know. I'd much rather you be sitting right beside me, man, and us talking about this. I feel like that uh, there's a, there's something that happens when we are with each other in our lives that's not happening right now because of everything that's going on. But we'll get to that. Um, yep. Man, Red Platoon, when, when you first came with me, uh, we were doing our American Stories Tour. And for everybody that's watching, if you didn't ever make one of those shows, uh, we were going to be doing that again this year, but because of COVID-19, we've canceled that tour. Um, but what happens is I do a show and I bring on a military person, someone like Clint, uh, who has a, a great story to tell. I bring on a songwriter and another artist and a, my daughter, who is a, a family member. So people get to hear different stories and different perspectives about my life. Even though Clint and I didn't serve together, we served and we share a bond that is forever embedded in our hearts and minds and souls just because we're both service members. Um, but anyway, so he, and, and part of that was to help Clint. Uh, I don't know that he needed the help as much as I did, but we wanted to help him promote his book because this is such a fascinating story. And Clint, one of the things I loved about this book more than any other military profile book that I have read is the way that you wrote it from the different perspectives. Can you explain that to some degree for us? You know, a lot of the process going into writing the book, like at first I was, I really was kind of apprehensive about doing it. Um, it just felt awkward for me. It felt, you know, one of these situations I got put in where, you know, it was just us doing our jobs. And so initially to get approached and do a book, of course, I'm like, you should have seen my high school English scores. There's no way you know, <laughs> anyone that knows me knows I'm actually <laughs> very literate sometimes. Um, but as kind of time went on and talking to a lot of guys and a lot of the gold star families especially the gold star families you know they were like look other than listening when you guys get together we can kind of listen in 
you know, we really don't know what really happened to our loved ones that day. Uh, we got, you know, a redacted 15-6 Army investigation report, you know, and we just like to, to know more. And the more sitting there thinking about it, talking about it, it's like, look, you know, I'll, I'll do a book, but it's not going to be Clint's, Clint did this and Clint did that. It's going to be our story, and it's going to be the story of those eight men that are no longer here to talk about it. It's going to be going around it. I mean, we did almost, took almost two years to do, to do the book. And a lot of that had to do with traveling around the country and visiting all the old guys and sitting down with them three or four days, get the recorder out, maybe crack a beer or two and just BS like veterans do, regardless of if you, you know, serve directly with them. Just, I mean, it's that common, common thread we all have running together. And a lot of times it's not about what you even say, it's kind of how you say it, the body language. And, and what was really beneficial for me was sitting there and realizing you know, even though I had Raz two feet away from me when something was going on, his perspective and my perspective, two different things he got kind of imprinted on us. And it was a great way to get back to, like, like I said, guys like uh, Raz, Brad Larson, Lieutenant Thunderman. You know, I got recognized on a national stage. These guys did amazing and just, just utterly heroic things that I now was able to give back to them. And we collected our stories and we you know, we talked about those eight men we lost and, and going with the family, uh, the Gold Star family members to let them read. And that was the one thing I'm not a very, not a very easygoing guy sometimes. And there's certain things I just won't budge on. And of course, when I told my publisher, I'm like, look, anything written about these eight men, their families get the final say. And of course, they come back and well, you can't give them editorial, you know, corrections like that. And I'm like, no, this is their loved ones. This, this doesn't just get to be thrown out to the world. It's what they want what they want people to read because this will you know essentially once it goes in print it's kind of like posting something on social media it's there yeah. for time and all eternity it's there <laughs> um and it was just such a great blessing to be able to go through and like i said i was very apprehensive like a lot of veterans you just kind of sometimes when you come back from those things you just want to put your nose to the grindstone worry about what's going forward you know which is which is good but sometimes you know you got to get out there and, and tell your story because if you're not telling your story, others step in and do it for you, and they don't always get it right. You know, that, that when I said, you know, you told me how you wrote it, and you went with them and collected their stories and made it a part of it, I knew at that moment that if I ever did a book, I wanted the same concept, because I love what you just said. What you've seen and what they've seen, even though you're in the same area two completely different perspectives. And so I'm doing the same thing with my book as I'm working on my book. I'm, every time I tell my story, if it involves someone else, I want that someone else to tell it from their perspective so that the readers can understand not just what I saw, but you get a much bigger picture. Uh, your book is very, uh, for me, very reminiscent of a movie. And I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's about the secret service agents. And this guy goes to shoot the president and all they show throughout the whole movie is all these different people's perspectives from different video camera views and on. I can't remember what the name of that movie is called. Jerry's going to look it up. Our producer <laughs> and, uh, and, and your book is like that. And I just love that. So I, I, I got this book and and I read it. Uh, I read it while we were out on tour, and uh, and it just made my heart hurt sometimes, and then other times it made it just feel like it was overflowing with joy and and happiness for these people. Um, but you know, I sent it to my brother-in-law, was... and my brother-in-law wanted to know. And even after he read, it, he said he read this without putting it down. He started. He said he couldn't stop. 
from beginning to end, he never stopped. Uh, but he wanted to know. He had a question, and, and, and I told him I would ask you. In fact, he said his words were, even though I know the answer to this question, <laughs> because I, uh, in particular in chapter 12, and we'll talk about that, but Scott wanted to know, if I can find it, he said, did you ever think, like, did you think that you would make it out of there? Uh, you know, for me, that wasn't, so every time I went overseas, I already kind of checked that block that I'm, you know, we're not going over to do, you know, we're not selling popsicles or handing out Girl Scout cookies. We're going over to do bad things to bad people and they're doing them to us. My mentality wasn't about me coming back. It was about making sure the guys come back. 100%. And it's also the mentality of knowing you're going into a, a situation like this where it's war. And that's what's, I mean, war is horrifying, not glorifying. And as a leader, you got to understand, you want to bring everybody home, but you just can't sometimes. There's yeah. things out of your control. The, the important thing is, though, knowing that everyone's going to be there for each other. Um, and at the end of the day, that's what it's about, bringing everybody home. And unfortunately, that comes at the price of doesn't mean they'll they'll be alive. And that was a big push that day was to recover the, the eight heroes that had fallen. And as we'd gotten surrounded and just that worry, you know, that was, like I said, I never worried about not coming home. I didn't, and I know this kind of sounds morbid, I really didn't care about living or dying in those situations. It was what was happening to everybody else. And if the roles were reversed, I knew Gallegos would come get me. I know Hart would always come get me. And the last thing you ever wanted was to lose somebody and never be able to bring that closure back home for those families. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, when we have our military group meetings, and like you said earlier, you alluded to when you're sitting around having beers and just shooting the shit, you, you tend to, a lot of it's body language, and, but you, you tend to talk about things, you know, a little differently than, than you might with, let's say, a uh, DJ. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I tell people all the time, when you're in that environment, and you said it, and I, I'm going to allude to it again because I've said the exact same thing. You don't think about dying. That's not what crosses your mind. What you're thinking about is making sure no one else dies and just trying to get through this situation so we can get to the next position or the next part of our life, whatever that may be. Uh, death was not a, it wasn't like I was ever scared. And like you just said, you didn't think about dying. If you yeah, died. I, it, it was always, it was always something that was looming. And it's just like any time in your life. I mean, you have that fear, the unknown. But when you let that control everything you do, you can no longer do something in a moment when all you're thinking about is, oh, man, if I step out into this, I'm going to die. It's not about, you know, that's in your head, but you you understand how to compartmentalize that in a way, but also rely on that camaraderie. And that's the, one of the greatest things I loved about the military. I didn't really appreciate having to wake up every morning at, you know, oh, dark 30 and <laughs> doing more before, you know, six than most people do. But that brotherhood, I mean, man, it's just something you can't duplicate, replicate, or simulate anywhere else. But having that bond where you're sleeping next to your buddies for months and days at a time and they haven't taken showers and just yeah. embracing the book, as we called it. That was, you know, that was one of the interesting things about the book is, you know, we're going through in there and we're, we're talking about life at combat outpost Keating, like that three months before the attack. And we're talking about, you know, one hot shower or one shower a week, one hot meal every three days, fleas all over our sleeping bags, just the incredibly harsh terrain, the odds stacked against us. And every one of the guys, after they got done telling this kind of what you would think is this just horror story of a situation, 
all finish it up with that was the best three months of our lives. And that, I mean, just tells you right there, that positive attitude, that brotherhood, that camaraderie, man, it can get you through so much. Yeah. And, and you're right. It, that brother, that brotherhood, that love, I mean, it really is. It's kind of weird. Uh, well, and, you know, and a lot of people don't think, you know, they think combat is this just anger and just hatred of something. No, for, for what I got to see firsthand, man, that, that love for your, your brothers to your left and right, that love for your family, your country, just each other, that love is what gets guys, as I explain it, you know, duty, you'll get a guy to go up and, Hey, take this corner and enter this room. Right. But that love of each other will get him to enter that room. Knowing there's a guy on the other end of the line with a fully automatic machine gun, ready to gun him down. And he will do that because he loves you so much, not because you told him so. Yeah. And, and when you say that, it, it reminds me of, of uh, when I read in chapter 12, you talked about a scenario, a situation, I shouldn't say scenario, a situation. Uh, you had someone pinned down in a vehicle uh, and you had to get over there to them. And I remember you, in the book you said, and I, I'm sorry, I'll have to paraphrase. You'll know it when I say it. He, uh, he said something and you said, I think he said something about we're going to die here. Or you said that we may die here or something. But it was like in jest almost. <laughs> you were like trying to be funny as y'all are being hammered uh, by machine gun fire. So the portion you're talking about is, you know, specialist copus. Um, this kid, love this kid to death, man. Oh, I just can't tell you enough about copus. So copus is one of these stories where the path he took in life, you'd never thought would put him where he was. Um, he was living in his, I think, cousin's closet before joining the army. He was kind of into the drug thing. Uh, he grew up Amish, you know, just all these little things in his past gets him up to this point. And so he's sitting in that Humvee. And at this point, he is the last fighting position in the fight. All the other ones have been disabled, destroyed or overran. And so Copus is the only guy still in the fight on his fully automatic grenade launcher. His Mark 19, just holding off the entire enemy off the, uh, the east side of the camp. And he's by himself. And I finally make it out there to go kind of check on him. And he, he can just kind of see it in his face and the chaos going around. And I just, you know, hey, it's okay. We're all going to die here today. So just <laughs> keep up and we'll figure it out later. You know, one of those, hey, let's acknowledge this. But we still got fight left in us, bud. We can still do it. And that kid, Copas said in that Humvee for 14 hours that day, mm. most of the time, 90% of the time, he was absolutely alone. His radios had gotten knocked out multiple times. So not only was he physically alone, he couldn't even just hear any other American voices on the radios for hours at a time. And he still sat there. And that one truck being the prime target, since it was the only one still left in the fight and held off. And you were talking about that love and, and what he did in, in the 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 things that we say in jest uh as soldiers and I, I have to be real careful i'm hesitant to have these kind of discussions because like you and we've talked about this amongst ourselves we would never want someone who's never experienced something like that to think that we make too light of that because we we i say that in light of those that we have lost and we know the hurt and pain uh, that they experience in having lost loved ones. Um, but it is, it can be quite, uh, 
uh, unsettling <laughs> to think about some of the ways we, some of the things that we have said in like you in that situation. I was reading it and I could not help but laugh. I mean, we're all going to die here anyway, so let's just get this. Let's just do what we can and hold them off as long as we can and take care of our well, brothers. It, 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 in those moments, I mean, it's just, hey, let's just state the obvious. I mean, yeah. <laughs> let's get the elephant out of the room. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, what else could you have said at that point, in my mind? You know, and, seemed... and, and, and you think about that, what y'all experienced. And I'm, again, I'm going to go back to that brotherly love and that, that passion and compassion for each other and not thinking about self. Uh, yeah. And I look at what's going on in the world, and I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm really, my heart hurts to see the anger and the the disrespect just to each other uh, and the, you know like even the racial tension i remember serving and 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 maybe you can call me ignorant you can, people can call me what they want i never felt that when we not just in combat but in general i never felt that separation i never felt that uh, uh you know i never felt it from them and i never experienced having given it i just had nothing but but love for my for my brothers in arms regardless of their skin their even their religion you know you know i i've always looked back at it at it and i can tell you this firsthand i have never once never once been in a firefight where the first thing in my mind is well my battle buddy in my left to right is this race this ethnicity believes in this you know god has these voting preferences it's like no this dude's got my back. I've got his. That's the only thing I give a care about right there. That, I mean, it just, it's kind of such a weird thing because people kind of sit there and think, well, oh, you've got to have your favorites and you've got to have your preference. And no, and, and those moments and that building up to those moments, because in the military, that's what we do. We, we train to be ready for those situations. Yeah. And you train like you fight. And even in training, hey, I don't care you know, what, what your background is, gosh, you're, you're a damn good two, four, nine gunner. And I'll take you on any door stack any day of the week. I don't care what, you know, where you grew up from. I, I met guys from, I grew up in a very rural town of a hundred people and first time in basic, I'm meeting guys from New York city that it's like, okay, I've heard about that. I've watched it on movies, <laughs> totally different backgrounds in life. And at the end of the day, we're still going through the same process together and you build that camaraderie. And like I said, that love. And it's like, I don't care what your background is. We're all accomplishing the same mission together and we're doing it with each other. Yeah. And you're right. You build that and, and you get to that point to where the other things seem so irrelevant. And I wish we could package that. I wish we could put that into a formula where people who aren't experienced in that, in that elements or in that arena, I wish they could somehow understand that so that they could come to a point in their lives where they could not be so hateful and, and not be so ugly to one another. I don't know. I've always had a vision on that. The greatest thing about the military, what it gives you is more perspective. Like I said, I joined right at 18. I was tired of melting cows and digging fence posts for my dad. <laughs> so my initial entry into the military was not to go, you know, it was 1999, you know, 9-11 wasn't even on the horizon. We were at relative peace. Um, and I grew up in my own little world. And I thought that was what the world was mm -hmm. and immediately getting into the military, you get exposed to so many different walks of life, so many different perspectives, and you don't kind of get encapsulated into that tight little bubble of people you always want to associate with that have the same views, same opinions, because it's really hard at times to break out of that. And wow, you know, this is, this is what's going on in your life. And 
like I said, meeting kids from the big city. Well, I never had those issues. I've, I've left my keys in my truck every time I want to, <laughs> you know, run into the gas station. What do you mean you got to lock up your car eight different ways? And, you know, okay, well, there is more stuff around the world than just my little bubble. And I, the military has always been great about exposing you to that. Yeah, I think that's 100%. I've, that's another thing that I always allude to. As, as a soldier, you have the opportunity to experience so many cultures and even the different cultures within our own country. And to be oh, a part of that, it just gives you such a great deal of appreciation of how fortunate we are. And I say that all the time, and I know you know that better than most, even most that have served. Uh, and we both have, have lost friends in, in these conflicts over time. Uh, and I'm just grateful that, that we have them and their families that serve them when they're gone and, and uh, those that continue to serve and sign up. We're going we're gonna, to uh, uh, get off the book. I am going to tell everybody, go get this book. If you want to uh, truly read something that will inspire you, and I, and I mean that, this will inspire you to want to be kind and to be grateful. Uh, so read the, get the book uh, and, uh, and check it out. Tell me something. When you guys were over there, did you listen to much music in when you're in downtime? What little downtime you may have? Yeah, that, that goes back to. So I grew <laughs> up country music. You know that. Um, that was one of our. That was one of our vets. That's one of our outlets. And the great thing about being in the military is, you know, I got introduced to hardcore death metal stuff because the guys I'd hang out with, I would have never listened to that music before. But it was always great to see how music really connected each other. And how it always gave us that time to reflect and how there's always, you know, there's always those songs that you, you just come on and it just brings you to a place and you're like, man, life, life is good. Life is great. Yeah. And I, you know, I love that when we've done USO shows, uh, I'm using your stuff to talk about how we put these all together. But when we've done USO shows, I've always been fascinated to have people come up to me after a show uh, and go, I've never listened to country before. <laughs> But man, I love that song. I'm like, well, maybe you should listen to more country. Oh man, I listen to heavy metal, or I listen to rap, or I listen to R and B, or I listen to rock. You know, I don't listen to any of this hillbilly stuff. And then they, and then they come and they go, well, I really like that. And so, I, you're exactly right. That music does that. Uh, and when we were out on tour, I, I, I remember. Uh, I can't. I don't remember what town. I don't remember what it was, but we were on stage and you had come out you were our guest this week that weekend and I had someone come up to me after the show with tears in their eyes because you had told a story and and I remember you were you were real uh you were really like it was very short you didn't talk a lot I, I tried to pull more out of you when we were on stage but that, that grown man had tears in his eyes talking about what that meant to him uh what you had said to him and, and how it related to our lives now. And, and, I, and I, I really thank you for that in this book and your, your life, your story. And, and thank you more importantly, bud. I mean, I'm saying this sincerely uh, for sharing it. You know, in our world, in the, in the military, you said something earlier, like you didn't want to do that. Uh, and I, I respect that. I get it. Uh, because none of us as soldiers want to capitalize off of what we experienced. We, it was our job and we did it for that reason. But if you can tell it and as you're doing in a way that brings a positive light to those, especially those that we have lost, but as well, those who have lived, who might not get the opportunity. 
so many just, I mean, like I said, so many unsung heroes that, I mean, how many guys and girls today that are still, that's what I look back to. You know, I think about back to my dad, you know, he did two tours in Vietnam. Vietnam was a, a, a time in our country where it was not a very popular war. The draft was still going on. You know, guys were getting told, you either go over to Nam or you go to jail. And I look at my generation when I join, I mean, we're an all volunteer force. And still, I mean, 20 years later now, we've had the global war of terrorism going on and you still have amazing men and women of this country that'll put up that right hand volunteering to go and put on the, the cloth of this, uh, this nation's uniform and still go and serve. And it's just so inspiring to see that still going on today, how well we treat our veterans, but we can always do more, how we respect them and how we, we as veterans also need to get out there and share these stories. So, cause like I said, if we don't, they're going to be forgotten and they might not get told, you know, the way, we directly experienced them and getting the messages out there that it's, we don't fight out of anger or hate, we fight out of love. And it's so amazing to see that. Okay. So saying that and, and knowing, keeping that in mind, when, uh, when, when we talk to each other as soldiers, especially someone who's experienced something like yourself, sometimes I'll just cold call you and go, I use the term and I think you've, you, I know you'll know, but we, we use the term headspace and timing. How's your headspace yep. and timing? Or, or sometimes we'll just say headspace. So for those that don't know, uh, headspace and timing is on a 50 caliber machine gun in particular, if your headspace and your timing are not adjusted properly, your weapon will not feed the ammunition through there, right? So when we say that to each other, what it means is like, if you're not thinking right, things ain't yep. gonna be firing right. You're not on cue. Uh, so how is you, you, you look good. You, you have a much, uh, and how long has it been since we did the, uh, uh, American stories with with Clint. Shoot, was that uh, two years ago? What? So two, two years ago. ago. I'm gonna tell you in two years. Time flies, Craig. Yeah, <laughs> but you look good, man. Uh, I remember good. at that time. Uh, you know, I felt like your headspace and timing wasn't just perfect. It wasn't off. You weren't bad. Fun. That but, was yeah. That was a few years back. I was going through some things in my life, and of course, being very private and personal. Yep. Um, but going out on tour to to sit there and be able to to talk to you and talk to my battle buddies, you know, you guys pick up right away. Hey, something's a little off. And at times that's, I know that's one of the hardest things for me is that stubbornness of, you know, I've been through so much. I'm so tough. No one can help me, but me. Yeah. And there's those times like I need to, Hey, I need the help. I, I need something. I don't know what I need, but I know I need to, to reach out. And yeah. you always have those guys there that 24 seven, um, day or night halfway across the country they're there well i know you're that guy too buddy i know you're that guy and 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 thank you for being that thank you for being willing to to humble yourself to know that we can't do it all ourselves and we're not perfect um because i think that a lot of times helps those other guys um yeah and, and, and I just, I, I thank you for that. I thank you for being who you are. You're, you're a shining light in our, in our world. Uh, and I'm not being cheesy or nothing. You're, you know, you're, you're also a goofball sometimes. And I love that. And I'm, you know, but I, I say all this because I, I recently wrote a song uh, and we released it as a single but called The Mask. Uh, and I think about that. And I, I wanted to ask you, uh, is it easier for you to take the mask off now? Uh, than it used to be 
You know, that, that mask that we put on to kind of hide our emotions or certain things. Does it get easier for you? It, it has. And part of that has been being able to go out on tour with you, Craig, and share that story. Because like I said, when I got out, you know, I transitioned out of the military. In my mind, I was like, I shut that chapter in my life. I put it in this little box and I put it in the shelf way back here in my mind. And I don't think I ever want to open that again. And then almost overnight, you know, getting told, hey, you're receiving the medal. You're now on a national stage. It's like all of that came flooding back at once. And when I was up here in North Dakota working in the oil fields, like none of the guys, they knew I was a veteran. They had no idea what I'd done. And almost overnight, it's like you, this quiet little Clint that doesn't say much of anything. <laughs> you you did what? You're this. And all of a sudden you're faced with it. And at first, like I said, I was part of not wanting to do the book. That those stories were just so ingrained in my heart that it's like I can't share that with anybody. That that was so much pain at times. But as time has gone on and taken that mask off, there was so much joy and so many great memories and so many opportunities now to honor those that, like I said, aren't here to tell their stories. So the mask can come off much easier now than it used to. Um, and I, you know, I think we all should be striving to, you know be able to understand that it's okay to let that out. It's okay to share that. It's okay to take that off. You know, you, you can be the hardest and just the, the most badass person that everyone thinks, but if deep down inside, you know, that's not you, that's where you're hurting. You can't keep that front on because all you're doing is you're just hurting yourself in the long run. You can't take care of yourself. How can you take care of your men? Well, yeah, now that you said that, and, and this is, the music and more podcast. The more is more fun for me, believe it or not, than the music. But we're going to reconfigure real quick. And Mike and I are going to play this song, uh, The Mask. And we're going to dedicate it to you uh, and all those that serve and have served. And I want to tell any veteran that's out there watching this, it's okay to take the mask off. And there's a lot of guys that you can share that moment with who will truly understand and appreciate what you're experiencing uh, so don't be scared to do that. I will tell you this, though, and I mean this. You, that's not something you can't take that mask off in front of just anyone uh, yeah. because they're not going to understand when you talk about some of the horrific things. They just won't grasp that. And, and I mean, Clint, you can um, you agree? I mean, Absolutely. I don't tell my wife everything that I experienced in my military career. In fact, there's she don't know about most of it because I just that there's images that she can't grasp without having maybe a, maybe even having a negative impression. Yeah. Well, and you, you start towing the line as a veteran of the frustration of trying to get that off your chest to someone, like I said, that doesn't have just any comprehension. It was like my dad, you know, I, I had served for many years in the army. He didn't share his first Vietnam story with me until my first time coming back from my combat, first combat deployment. Wow then he opened up and I heard about some of that stuff and it's like we had that it was just that <laughs> unsung kind of truth of you know what I know without me telling you what I know absolutely well, we're going to reconfigure real quick and play this song and then we'll be right back like I was telling Clint this is a song that I wrote and thanks again Clint by the way for hanging out while we do this uh, I wrote this we wrote this before COVID-19 really um so it's called the mask, but it's not about a physical mask. It's about that mask that we all put on, the front that we put on uh, in order to get through the day sometimes. And, I, and we released it to iTunes for download. It is available. You can download it. Um, because I, I really felt like a lot of our first responders, law enforcement officers, especially our military, but those, those people 
share a gene, and, and they all have to put on a mask sometimes in their lives on a regular basis just to get through their day. Uh, so uh, it, it's kind of dedicated to them, but I also realize that people just in our everyday lives, no matter what you do in your life, sometimes you have to put on a front just to get through your day because you've experienced something traumatic or something bad that makes you struggle with it. But So anyway, here it is. We're going to dedicate it to everybody tonight. Inside of me, pains I don't let people see. I say I'm fine because I know they see me strong. Behind my eyes, inside my soul, feels like I'm digging a deeper hole. I put on a smile, I lie, and I hold on. Because when I get home and it's late at night, no one's around and I turn off the light I cry and scream and yell like a crazy man I don't have to pretend that I'm doing well I can tell the world it can go to hell It's just me and God when I take off the mask They say you got so much going on But in this crowd I'm still alone But they don't know cause I hold my head up high Sometimes I can't get out of bed I'm going round and round inside my head That's when I slip it on so I can't hide but when I get home and it's late at night No one's around and I turn off the light I cry and scream and yell like a crazy man I don't have to pretend that I'm doing well I can tell the world it can go to hell It's just me and God when I take off the mask I won't give up I won't give in I won't take it all Till I'm with him Yeah, when I get home and it's late at night No one's around and I turn off the light I cry and scream and yell like a crazy man I don't have to pretend that I'm doing well Tell the world it can go to hell It's just me and God When I take off the mask Oh yeah When I take off the mask There you go I'm going to finish up with Clint, and we're going to come back and uh, talk about songwriting. All right, well, we're back. Uh, like I said, uh, wrote that. I actually wrote that song before uh, everything happened with COVID, so it wasn't about that. It's about the mask that you and I were talking about. Again, thank you so much for being here. Speaking of COVID, uh, how have you been? I mean, have you managed to stay healthy and stay away and from it, or what's going on? 
You know, I, I do have to say one of the benefits of being from a state like North Dakota, when your <laughs> population density is only one person for 12 square miles, <laughs> by default, we are pretty. <laughs> no, it's, it's been good. The family's been healthy. They've been well. Um, in some ways, it's been, you know, a little frustrating because you're kind of cooped up at times. But in other ways, you get to spend the time with the family. We get to have, you know, I, I wouldn't call it forced time, mandatory time together, but just sitting there and having meals at the dinner table, um, going out and working. We've been working on our backyard quite a bit and showing the kids how to run a string line and, and pull proper squares on things and giving them kind of those, what I call life skills instead of having to hire construction guy every time you need to do a little something you can figure it out yourself and those little family life lessons that i think parents need to pass on to their kids uh, has been a blessing and i always like to look at the positive you can look at all the negative stuff going on with this but you really got to try to find the positive and when you do your experience will be much much more beneficial that's awesome buddy so have you had anybody close to you uh test positive now, anybody you know i have not yet um, okay well, in it's, the next, uh, it's been a blessing and well, that's good. Of course you are in North Dakota where there's 12 square miles for every one person. <laughs> our next, uh, our next little bit, we're going to be talking to a bunch of my friends and a bunch of people I know that have actually tested positive for COVID. And we're going to find out their symptoms, talk to them. And I'm, I'm, I want you to hear it straight from them, not from the doctor, not from some government official. You're going to hear it from the people that got it. Uh, and you're going to be surprised. Uh, it varies, uh, what they've dealt with. So we'll be right back with that. All right. Thank you, bro. Awesome. Awesome. Appreciate it, Craig. Man, I love you, buddy. You look good, dude. I'm proud for you. Stay in well, touch actually, with me. Kind of, I trimmed down a little bit, so it yeah. always looks like I lose weight when I trim the beard. Yeah, that last <laughs> picture, dude, your beard was huge. Oh, man, that thing was massive. It's, yeah. <laughs> COVID it's summertime, beard. dude, so it's time to get some of that extra hair off. Yeah. It's too hot. Well, All I right. can't wait to see you again, and I'd love Oh, man, I can't wait till we go out on tour. Just miss you guys. Really next year, next year, we're going to have you back. Well, Larson, you know, when we stopped in Nebraska, that was two years ago, and Larson came down. Man, what a great reunion to have the ability and then going to see my mom and out in Oregon. I tell you what, Craig, so many great memories being on tour with you. Thank Just you, so buddy. Great. We're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. I've been trying to practice a little bit, but yeah, my singing still sucks. <laughs> All right, we're going to let him go on that one right there. <laughs> I'm kidding, buddy. You be careful, brother. All right, you do the same, See Greg. You, Give everyone my back. Bye-bye. We are back with music and more. And uh, so I said in the last uh, segment that we were going to be talking to some friends and family and people that I know that have literally tested positive with COVID because I want to see what's going on. It's one thing to hear it on the news and hear a doctor talking about it, but I want to hear it from my friends. And I got a buddy of mine, Wes. He is in, uh, he's in uh, uh, D.C. right now. He's from Hawaii. He is my aloha brother. Uh, he is like family to us now. We have traveled doing some things together, and, and I just love this guy. Wes, how you feeling, buddy? Doing great. Doing great. How are you? I'm good. I have, but I haven't tested positive. You did. I did. I did. I did. I tested positive a couple months ago. Um, but here I am. I'm good. I'm healthy. I'm well as well as me. And you would have never known that I had it before. Did you experience any or all of the symptoms when it was, when it first came about? Uh, most of them actually. So I started off with um, the sniffles and it happened pretty quickly. Once I started getting the symptoms, I, I had the sniffles, had the runny nose. 
Then the next day I started losing my voice and then I started coughing and then the chills, the fever all kicked in and then the dreading of um, diarrhea, nonstop coughing. And that lasted actually for about five to six days of being down hard with all of those. And probably around the seven, eight day, I started, everything else starting, you know, the fever, everything was coming back. Pretty much what hung around the longest for maybe around 16 days, a little over two weeks was the cough. But everything else had drifted off about the sixth day or so. And so for me, it was like as if you had the flu or something. I never had, you know, hard time of um, breathing or anything like that. So it was more like the flu, an extended version of the flu for you. Yes, yes. And how yes. old are you? Uh, 41. Hey, what's your blood type? <laughs> be positive. And that's what I'm always saying. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be positive, right? Man, okay. I love you. Okay. you. Yeah, you look good, bro. Oh, man, you too, man. That's what I said. Like, you would have never thought I had it or anything like that. So I'm, I'm very one of the very lucky ones. I'm very fortunate that... You know, even though I did get it, that it wasn't severe like some other people has gotten it. Right. Hospitalized or even worse that, you know, I passed on. So, so uh, very when when was that when you came? When did you test uh, or when did you feel the symptoms and get tested? What what? How did that order go? Did you get tested first or? I got tested after. So I, I, I came down with the symptoms and um, because of where I work, you know, because of what I do and I'm getting tested. Um, after probably it was like the week after I got tested okay. of having symptoms. And then, yeah, two days later I found out, yep, tested positive. And that Did was the whole quarantine and all of that. And that was in March? In March. Yeah. It was probably the second week of March. Second, second <laughs> week of March is when I started the symptoms. And then, um, third week is when I got tested. Yeah. Cause I remember we, uh, we talked cause I was with you early in the second week of March. In yes. fact, I have a picture that I'm going to post up here. I want people to see of me standing with you and I'm, and I come home and then a few days later I get a call and I'm like, Oh my gosh, but I never got it. I never, uh, we even tested, uh, just here a while back. We got tested for the antibodies because I yeah. just assumed that I had to have had it after being so close. But yeah. I attribute the fact that we didn't get it to Jerry, our tour manager, who you know. Uh, mm -hmm. He made us sanitize every time I shook someone's hand. I mean, yeah. every time we do anything, you know, it's like, oh, we got to do this. And Jerry, he wouldn't let us walk away without me putting that stuff on my hands. And then when we finished for the evening, he's like, go wash your hands with some soap, and then we'll come back down and have a drink or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but you look great. Uh, have you been tested for the antibodies after the fact? Yeah, and I just got the administered so far. So I was excited about that. And then just this morning, I got another test just to, you know, do a follow-up and see how that goes. So we'll find out, you know, tomorrow and, you know, that I'm, yeah, I'm still good to go. I mean, I feel great, no symptoms, you know, and been the uh, same just like you, sanitizing, keeping clean, keeping the distance. Um, just, you know, not only for myself, but for our family, for our friends, People yeah. that, you know, co-workers, you know, protecting them as well at the same time. Well, you look good, man. I really appreciate you calling in and telling everybody, you know, kind of what your experience was. And I think it's important that people hear it, you know, straight from the, uh, yeah. straight from the source, so to speak. But uh, you look good and I'm, I'm happy to see you. I can't wait till this thing, till it settles to some degree so that yeah. we can get back together, my friend. 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to doing more things. All right, bro. We love you. Aloha. Love you. Aloha, man. Have a good one, everyone. All right, bro. Bye. Well, there you have it. Straight from the source. One of them. We're going to talk to two or three more. Uh, we're going to get some more on the phone. And uh, I just want you all to hear it from them because we've been talking to them. I haven't really, quite honestly, we haven't talked to Wes to understand the, the degree in which he had uh, held on to it. Uh, I didn't think his was quite that long. Uh, when I initially talked to him, he made like it only lasted like two or three days. Uh, and then you heard there it was a couple of weeks that he, he had these flu-like symptoms, um, but never shortness of breath. So it, I think it obviously it varies. Uh, so that's kind of in line with what we're being told. All right, well, Jerry, yeah. I want to talk to you about this. So you went to a birthday party here a while back. I did. And someone at the birthday party, you hadn't been anywhere. Uh, you had not gone anywhere. Nope. Like you were like, and I tell people, listen, y'all, I'm not making this up. And I'm not making fun of Jerry by any means. Uh, I just want y'all to understand the, how severe Jerry thought this was. He was like, he didn't even want us to go to Washington, D.C. to do this event because he was afraid that we would get sick. And this was March 10th. So that tells you how early it was. And Jerry had gotten sick in January. And we now know for a fact that this virus was here in January. We know that. It was already here. Uh, and Jerry got really sick, sicker than he had ever been. And... Uh, had very flu-like symptoms, and he was down in bed. So when we went there, Jerry was super conscious about it. Like I said uh, when I was talking earlier, he made sure we every time we shook someone's hand or took a picture or did anything, he wanted us to keep our hands clean, and he just didn't want Mike and I. I still do. And, it, and it, I don't think he was worried about us as much as he didn't want us to get it and make him sick. <laughs> but it worked. I believe that. I really attribute us not getting sick to the, to the hygiene habits that we started then, early on. And I have since flown to Alaska and back and, and managed to do it unscathed. And I attribute it to the fact that we're just doing social distancing and hygiene and all the things that are, are needed. Uh, um, so... Shortly after, though, or just recently, Jerry, not having done anything, decides he's going to go to this birthday party. It's a family event only. And what happened, Jerry? Well, I won't <laughs> name any names, but <laughs> as, as you know, and you know me very well, um, I've been very cautious about this, like you said. And um, I've been in my house, stuck in my house. I make my wife go to the grocery store. I don't even go to Kroger with her because I don't want to get it. <laughs> She comes home, she has mask on, I make her throw that stuff away, hand sanitizer, all that jazz, right? But, so I went to a birthday party over to a family member's house, and he had some other people come over. It was his son's birthday party. And uh, this couple that came over dropped their son off earlier in the day, and then they come over late at night. Well, myself and the rest of my family was there, and didn't think nothing about it, had a party, left, okay? <laughs> so I think that time frame from where I left that party on a Saturday... I did a couple different things with you, some live streams, yep. right? And so, evidently, this individual got tested on a Wednesday, and then on a Friday told my family member that he was tested positive for COVID. And what day was the birthday party? The birthday party was the Saturday before, so that was six days. Yeah, six days six from days. the time he tested or? Uh, 
Three days from the time he tested to where yeah. I knew about it. Yeah. Right? So, but, so time frame, birthday So party, the point is, he could have very well had it then. Uh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Or, I mean, he could have got it from the party from us. Now, that being said, uh, there's a couple people in my family that's been tested that were at that party and are negative. Yeah. Right? I haven't tested yet. I know. I, I probably should, but... It, it was so long in that time frame that it was already 14 days. I said, I, well, it was, it was eight days at that time. And I said, I, well, I'm just going to wait and see if I get any symptoms. And if I do, I'll go get tested. Still hadn't had a symptom. Hadn't had a symptom from the time we were in uh, D.C. with each other. Like yep. you said, I, in February, I was sick. I mean, the sickest I've been in my entire life. Three days of, of being in bed with 103 temperature. Could not get out if I wanted to. Finally got out another seven or eight days of congestion and, and, and problems breathing. But I, I, I kind of test that to my history of asthma. Uh, but since then, I've been fine, you know. Yeah, so, so, so the point is, you can't avoid this if you practice these hygiene, you know, sanitize, keep your hands clean, stay away. Uh, and, and I would even go as far as to say, uh, wear a mask. Uh, but that's mainly really to keep you from getting it out to somebody. But if someone has a mask on, they're not going to be, if they do cough, not as much of that's going to get out. That's the why the mask thing. And I believe that too. Um, um but what we do, just so y'all know, when we do something like that, like when I went to Alaska, uh, I went into, into quarantine when I got there. Um, and, and within 10 days, I hadn't felt nothing. Fine. 14 days later, I, 15 days, I fly home. When I got home, I didn't go anywhere or do anything for like 10 days, 12 days. I made sure that in, the, in that time of being around other people, even though I was still maintaining social distancing, um, because you can do it. Uh, on Delta Airlines, it was every other seat. Uh, so I wasn't close enough to anybody. Uh, and traveling through the airport, we maintained our distance and, and wore a mask. And, and I had hand sanitizer with me. So if I went uh, into the restroom, I would hand sanitize. I actually washed my hands and hand sanitized before I piss y'all. Because I ain't touching nothing with something that's been touching something else, if you know what I'm saying. So we made sure. And then we hand sanitized throughout the whole thing. So I think it can be done. You just got to do what they're, do those things. Uh, having said that, the degree of effect that it has on us, I think, depends on a lot of things. Your health, uh, pre-existing conditions. Uh, now even it looks like maybe blood type uh, might have some effect. So now we're going to get another friend on the uh, phone that uh, has also experienced uh, COVID-19. Uh, this person, we all believe, got it at the same time as the last person, same time frame. Uh, and, and I just want to hear from her, her perspective. So now we've heard from a male, 41 years old, healthy, uh, what it did to him. Now we're going to hear uh, from a female. I might not be able to ask her age. <laughs> That's kind of disrespectful they say to ask a woman her age, but I don't know. Uh, and hear from her perspective what she experienced as um, soon as she gets on the phone. And, and again, we're talking about this because it, it's really hard to decipher all this information that we're receiving, what's going on. Mike, uh, who you've seen me do the song with a while ago, uh, Mike has been doing some things. He was at a, an event. Hell, he was on a microphone this far away from another guy and he ain't got it. But the thing is, we know for the most part, those people, like I come in here with Jerry, but I know Jerry's been in quarantine. I know where he's been. I know what he's done. I know what Mike's done. So when, when we do get together, like Mike just did a thing. He just had a, uh, a live stream with this project that he's doing. 
So when Mike came in, we said, don't touch nothing. I mean, and you know, he respects it. He's not touching anything. And he's basically quarantined himself for 14 days after that event just to make sure. So in the next 10 to 12 days, if he gets sick, he'll go get tested and we'll know. Uh, but that's what we're doing. And I think that's really about the best you can do. That's really all you can do is to avoid it anytime. We can't avoid it altogether, guys. We have to live our lives. But if you can, if there's things, precautions that you can take, if it's not necessary for you to do something in order to live your life, then you should do those things. Uh, and that's what we're all trying to do. Is it ringing? Hi there. Hey, that's better. We can't see your pretty face, but we can hear you. Aww. Well, thank you, Craig. I'm in, I'm in my car, so I apologize that I was out running errands. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. So on, on this week's podcast, I've been talking to friends, people that we know who have tested positive for COVID. I just talked to uh, one of my friends, uh, a, a man of 41 years of age, healthy, and he talked about what he experienced. And I'm, I'm uh -huh. telling everybody that's watching, it's one thing to hear the doctors talk about it and to see it on the news, but it's another thing when you hear it straight from the source. So when you experience this, how long from the time that you suspected you might have it did you test, and what were your what was your experience like? Well, so I started getting symptoms like four days after I believe I was exposed, but I never did get tested because I had it so early, you know, in the second week of March that I couldn't even get tested in Las Vegas. But I've had two positive antibody tests since then. But. I went through all the symptoms, so I knew when I was going through it that I had it. So what, what, exactly what were your symptoms? How long did they last? Well, I lost my taste and smell, so that was the weirdest thing. I actually even Googled it. That's how I know what day I did it, because I was like, why can't I taste or smell anything? I thought I was having allergies, because back then they weren't talking about that symptom. And then um, a couple days after that, I got, the, I got the cough, and then I got the fever and the, and the tiredness and the headache. And all of that, probably eight days in. And on the so, eighth, after eight days, did it was it a slow progress to get back to a hundred percent, or did you like in eight days you started, you got better, and you're like, okay, now I can go run. <laughs> well, my fever, no, my fever and my in my cough, my fever lasted four days, and the tiredness, I kind of slept for four days. One day I slept eighteen hours. My Fitbit told me. Wow. Um, but I just slept and slept, and then. Um, and then the cough, it's a cough like you've never had. It's a wheezy, dry cough from the bottom of your lungs. And that lasted three weeks. Oh, my and goodness. Then, and I think, you know, I, I work out pretty regularly. And I can, you know, I can hike. I can do anything. And I had no, uh, no lung capacity for probably a good four to six weeks. I just had to. I would go out and take a mile walk, which normally I would take a five-mile walk. I would take a mile walk, and I'd be exhausted. Oh, wow. So it took like four to six weeks for the lungs to fully come back. But now I'm a hundred percent, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I feel great now, but it, it was a, it was a, a different experience, you know, that I've never had, you know, never had that kind of illness before. Well, I'm, I'm in, in doing this comparison, I know it's, it's rude to ask a lady her uh, age. No one can see you. So you can tell me. <laughs> I'm 57. So I'm like right at the brink of that magical 60, you know, crisis age group. So. And yet you, yeah. I, I, you, so would you attribute the fact that you recovered the way you did to your health, the fact that you're a healthy person? 
Yes. And I also take a lot of her immune support because you know how much I travel. You know, I travel the world and I'm always taking um, different things for immune support. And so I think that helped dramatically. Oh, that's so, awesome. I had, yeah. The other friends that I had had it, you know, that got it. One of them got it really, really bad. And um, so just people, you know, just everyone has a different reaction to it. That's the strange part about this illness. Agreed. About this virus is, yeah, is everyone has a different experience with it. So now that you've had it, do you have a, some sense of comfort with the uh, antibodies? You feel like you're good for a while? <laughs> so it's funny you said that. I've had the two positive tests. I'm going to have one more next month because I'm just going, my doctor can do it at his office. And we're just going to check to see if I still have IgGs, which is a strong antibody. Um, because now they're saying that they, they think, you see, again, Craig, they don't know because not enough time has passed. But uh, they're thinking that they're going to start, the antibodies will start getting weaker. Um, as time goes on, and they're thinking um, that it's gonna it's gonna be a yearly occurrence. Like this vaccine is gonna be a if, when they make the vaccine, it'll be like a yearly vaccine. They're, they're thinking like the flu shot. Yeah. Because the antibodies aren't for life, like you know, like with other viruses you have that you have at one time and that's it. But they're thinking that this is gonna be. So I'm just being careful. I'm still being cautious when I'm out and careful. Um, you know, and I'll just continue to to be that way. So just to make sure. Well, I'm I'm really glad that you're okay. We we love you. You know that, of and we course. can't wait to get yeah. back out with you and travel with you and do some things. And, Absolutely. Uh, and uh, and yeah, uh, you know, I mean, you know, you just said it might be like the flu. This is a coronavirus. The flu is a coronavirus. Yeah, so, no, you're absolutely right. So there yeah. are a lot of those similarities. The difference is, like you said, the way it affects people uh, differently. Yeah. So I'm just glad you're okay. I can't thank you absolutely. enough for coming on thank and telling so everybody much. what you experienced. Of course. And you guys stay safe. God bless you all. Oh, we will, honey. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Okay, bye-bye. Well, we got one more person that we're going to talk to. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, this is the, the third one. Uh, there, I, I did talk to two other people that aren't going to call. Uh, one was a female in her late 30s. Uh, she had three days total time of feeling some symptoms. Scratchy throat. She had a light fever for less than 24 hours. Uh, and then on the third day, uh, she, uh, she started feeling better. And she said by the fourth day, she had no symptoms and was fine. Um, and, and she tested positive. Uh, just so you know, three of the five people that I talked to were with us on March the 10th. And you notice two of those that we have talked to discussed the fact that they tested within three days after we were all together. Uh, again, a testament to the personal hygiene and 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 uh social distancing and washing and all those things i believe that i really believe that's going to make a big difference in the spread of the coronavirus but that's what we wanted to talk about this week i'm gonna try uh my buddy one more time um who i served in panama with to see here we go i'm calling him up the one whose voicemail was full a while ago <laughs> Hello. Mike, it's Craig. Hey, what's going on? Hey, buddy, I got you on my uh, podcast via audio since uh, I didn't get in touch with you. I just, I just want to talk to you. So I, we were, I was saying that you texted me to wish me a happy birthday and I asked you how you were doing. You said you were just getting over COVID. And ironically enough, today's podcast, I'm talking about the virus and, and how it's affecting people differently. So tell me, uh, 
what your experience was from the time you thought you might have it until it was gone. How did tell me the timeline? Oh, uh, well, it took about two weeks and a half before I started getting all my energy back. So when I first had it, I thought, man, am I just getting lazy because I retired? But because uh, I would do something, and then I'd say, I need to lay down. And then two days after that happened, I started running a fever. And, uh, and then I got tested. But, of course, it took like over a week. Before, well, it took six days before that it was positive. But I knew I had it because I never felt so drained in my life. So uh, how long uh, after – so you, I'm trying to get the, the, the timeline here. So the initial symptoms, what, what, what were the first symptoms where you said, eh, I don't feel good? Yeah, yeah. So it was um, – okay, so June 27th, Saturday when I got checked. Um, the Friday, 26th, 26th, like the 23rd, Wednesday – 23rd of June, yeah, I just started feeling real tired. I would do something, and then I would have to lay down, and I just, I didn't know. It, and and uh, I didn't put two and two together until I started running a fever. And uh, and then I, I, I said, this has got to be COVID. And, but I didn't have a cough, but I had um, my, uh, it was like super bad uh, body ache and joint, joint aches um, all over my body. So it was like worse than the flu. And, um, and also I had um, a pretty severe abdominal uh, pain in my uh, like left upper quadrant right, right near my stomach. So, uh, yeah, so that was and, – and bad headaches in the beginning. But, but it, uh, yeah, so you – I mean, you cover the gamut of, of the symptoms they talk about except for – did you uh, have problems breathing? No, I didn't have any respiratory issues, and I did not have, um, uh, what's the other big one, um, cough. I didn't oh, okay. really have But and, later in the, like a 10 days later, I started getting diarrhea for a couple of days, about two or three days. <laughs> so, that could have been the food you ate. <laughs> who, who knows? But, yeah. So, and, yeah, and, so that was the how how old are you, Mike? Say, uh, a little older than you. Uh, I'm 56, but I'll be 57 in October. Yeah, so you're at that age where some people think it starts to get worry, worrisome. Uh, like it really though, they've kind of moved it up. I noticed on CDC's website, it's like 70 and over now. Yeah, I, I mean, if you don't have comorbidities, uh, uh, the big ones are if you if you're obese or diabetic, uh, and, or if you have respiratory issues, um, or any kind of uh, autoimmune disorder, uh, you're, you're at risk. Well, you, uh, you know a lot about this because you're in the medical field. Hey, do you, know, do you think you know how or where you got it, or just or no? You know, that I'm not sure about. I did. I, I drove my car up to Delaware to dump off one car. And then I flew back. So it's possible that I, I got it on the plane. But there was also movers in the house. And there was uh, repair people in the house. So oh, yeah, yeah. That, that weren't wearing masks. So they, 
if we could have got it. Although, man, that's debatable about that. So. But you feel better now. You're good now. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. I've been doing yard work all week. Um, so, uh, yeah, I feel good. Well, man, I'm glad to know you're well. Uh, I was kind of shocked when you told me that because, um, you know, we have a lot of I other friends, not a lot of other people. But, man, I'm, yeah, I'm glad to know you're well, my friend. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit of a germaphobe. I, I, I wash my hands and make sure I don't touch my face. But I still got it. Yeah, it can happen. Well, I was just telling everybody that, you know, a buddy of mine that I served with in Panama, a guy whose life I saved like 10 times and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't hear that last part. I'm sorry. It must have been a joke. <laughs> I said, I was just telling everybody how I saved your life in Panama like 10 times. Oh, yeah, you probably did. I, I, yeah. Yeah. You can't recall that, though, huh? I, I'm sure you did, yeah. Well, oh, I'm, old, I'm teasing. So I I'm just kidding. I love you, buddy. I, I am glad to know you're all right, and I appreciate you uh, calling in and, and sharing that with us because I wanted people to hear it from the source, people that I know. All right, but don't be scared. Open the damn economy. <laughs> we won't. All right, buddy. All right, I'll see you. See you, brother. Bye. Well, there you have it. That's uh, three or four people uh, that we know personally, uh, and you've heard their experiences. Uh, a lot of similarities in the time span. That's the big thing. So you hear sometimes on the news that uh, it's three days and this, and I've only talked to one person out of the 12 that I know personally that have had it that it was that short the rest of them it uh it can go on for a couple of weeks uh with the severe flu-like symptoms lasting four or five days and it was the same across the board so keep your hands clean do what you got to do uh and uh man get back to life uh i i've said this i would rather live i'd rather die trying to live than live uh dying i i want i want to live I'm not like any, I'm not out here to try to kill myself or I don't, it ain't that I uh, don't care about living, but I think we need to live our lives. So we got to get back to living our lives and there's ways to do it. And it's by adhering to the social distancing when you can and where you can and being, being sanitary. Don't put your hands in your face and nose. And that's what it's hard to do. It's hard to not pick your nose sometime, especially if you got one back up in there. Uh, but there's ways to do it. Jerry said, mm. uh, so keep it in mind, check us out next time. Uh, when we have our next podcast and we'll let you know what it's going to be ahead of time from now on we'll talk about what's coming up on our podcast you're watching uh, the craig morgan music and more all right so uh boy i really can't uh say how much i really appreciate clint being here and talking about the book his experience life and sharing all that with us uh so next podcast we're going to spend quite a bit of time talking about songwriting uh i want to spend a little more time on the music on the next podcast but before we do, I want to give you a little taste of what we're going to talk about. So Mike and I have been writing together for a long time. We've written a bunch of hits. been really blessed uh, to have that happen. Uh, there's two things that I think are very important uh, in when we talk about songwriting. Number one, you got to have a great subject. You need a good subject. So when you sit down, if you're a songwriter, uh, guys, we call them hooks. That's right. Something to write about. And if you don't have a great hook, then you better have a great melody. So And then it's really about putting those two things together. Uh, and we've done this quite a few times over the years um, in, in, in uh, shows. We've kind of made stuff up to show people how it goes. Uh, but next week, we're going to actually sit down 
And we're going to start something right now that next week we'll finish. And I'll talk about the entire process. But what I like to do is, especially with writing with Mike, I love to hear him play something and make something up melodically. I think he has a, he has a great melodic sense. Uh, he's not real sharp uh, in other areas in life, but he's a great melody guy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He, he's a great songwriter. He really is, especially in the bluegrass world. He's won a lot of awards in that arena writing songs. Um, but I, I think his real strength is in his melodies, and that's where we try to put it together. Uh, so, Mike, uh, I'm thinking of a, a lower mid-tempo. I'm a, I'm a clean slate right now. I have yeah, no idea, no idea what we're going to play or say or sing. I don't even have a hook. So I'm hoping that the melody will drive me lyrically and give me, ooh, I like this, and give me an idea. Ooh, so you know what I like about this is that one of the people that we talked to was my Hawaiian brother, uh, Wes, and that has a Hawaiian feel to some degree, don't it? No, not, do what you you're doing, do not that much. Yeah. I love it. Don't, yeah, don't get too fast. So, man, I love this melody, and it has that islandy feel without being islandy. So, and I try to, what we do as songwriters, a lot of times our influence in what's happening in our lives impacts it. And so talking to West and feeling that aloha love, I, I feel that right now. So it's, we're going to take this to the island maybe, to their island, to some degree. And let me feel it, and there we go. As the wind blows through the palm trees, I feel her. So much love that has come and gone. I can't help but think I wish she was sitting right here with me. Instead, she's gone. Yeah, she's gone. We'll finish this next time on our next podcast. See you next week. (laughs) Thanks for watching the Craig Morgan Music and More podcast and listening to it. And if you're listening now, that means you hung on to the end, and we thank you. Uh, Show your support by uh, downloading this, sharing it with all your friends, and doing all of that because when you do that, you get to help us help Operation Finally Home providing mortgage-free homes for our men and women in the service. God bless you, and thank you.